Hey, welcome to the Bible Savvy Podcast, a weekly conversation on how to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. I'm your host, Nikki Lucas, and I'm joined by Executive Pastor Eric Ferris and Teaching Pastor Clayton Keenan. So we're about to jump into another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Schedule. But guys, before we do, so it's the start of a new school year. A lot of people are going back to school, and I had a quick question. I want to know, what was the favorite and least favorite thing about this first day of school for you guys? Clayton? Um, I, my favorite thing was new books and like clean notebooks of course. and new books because it was like the beauty of like, look at all you will learn this year. Um, I love that. And then the, my least favorite thing was it, it's either walking into the, the lunchroom and being like, are my friends actually going to be in my lunch? Like, or will I have to figure out some random place to sit? Um, but more likely it was picking out an outfit. Right. Cause there's like a pressure of like, you're going to show up with like your, you know, new clothes for the school year. And that always like stressed the heck out of me. Cause I'm like, I don't know if this is cool. I don't know if that people are going to like it. Or what if I wear something that, that I wore last year? Is that a problem? Like, and all that. So I would in my own room be like, why did that? Why does this matter? So your least favorite things you gave two answers is picking your clothes and trying to figure out who you're going to sit next to in lunch. Yes. The lunch thing mm. is stressful. Like walking into any cafeteria and not knowing who you're going to sit with, that's, a, that's an well, awkward even if you even if you have like friends that are around, there's no guarantee they're there, right? Right. It's true. Uh, mm. I, I need to fact check this. Okay. So for real, when you were a kid, your favorite thing about going back to school was the books and you would think to yourself, look at how much learning is going to happen? <laughs> totally. Absolutely. <laughs> that is I mean, true. I, how, I, I don't know about that? like first grade. Like I don't know. I can't, I can't remember what I was excited about for first grade. But like- when I when I would like have all the stuff that it would be like okay we're gonna put it in your locker like by the time I got to middle school and high school absolutely mm. wow that's amazing Nikki did you ever have that thought um you know I loved uh, buying new folders so oh, that's fun I I actually liked going to the store and picking out new folders I did like picking out new notebooks I did like that uh, but that wasn't like the highlight of my new, like the this beginning year, of my school I'm year. I'm going to stay perfectly organized and right. I'm going to take great notes and that lasts about as long as a New Year's resolution. Yeah. No. Trapper keepers. Are you old enough for trapper keepers? Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. I had trapper keepers. Oh, they were amazing. I, I still like them, but. <laughs> do they still sell trapper keepers? <laughs> they do. Do they like still have all kinds of designs crazy, on the front? Crazy designs. I, I don't know the, that I've. Lisa Frank. With the Velcro. Yeah. I don't know that I've seen like crazy designs, but like you still see like trapper keeper ish type of little binders. Trapper folders keepers, and stuff. fruit roll yeah. ups. Did, did you say what the worst was? Or did you even say what your oh, best I was? Did, I was just, I was just answering. Yeah. Like no, I was, I just asked her if she was yeah. like you and looked at books and thought, gee, I'm looking forward to all of the learning <laughs> we're going to do this. I year. was agreeing that those were a couple elements I liked. My, my favorite thing was I love seeing friends. Like I was the, I love talking with my friends. I love seeing them hanging out. Um, so going back to school uh, and, see, and seeing a bunch of, of people that I hadn't seen all summer was always a highlight for me. Um, the worst part was um, like when you walked into your classroom and you had to find like your seat, like the desk, like what, what was the desk going to be where I sit for the rest of the school year? Because usually like you walked in that room and like your seat was your seat. Your fate is sealed. Right? So it's like you Choose had wisely. to pick good. Like you, you didn't want to really be in the front. 
you didn't want to be all in the back. I, it's just, it was it was complicated. And then sometimes, you know, if you like, there were some kids that got in trouble, and then they would get like pushed off kind of to the side. And the school that I went to, they kind of like you like you go over there in that corner because you're a distraction to all the other kids. <laughs> so you never wanted to be that kid. But yeah, to me, it was always very anxiety ish. Like I walk into the room, and I'm like, I gotta pick the seat. What the seat's gonna? What seats are left? That was another stressful thing. Yeah. My favorite thing about the first day of school was new shoes. Oh, yeah. Little swagger, feeling good about your new shoes. Always loved that. I'm the youngest of five kids, so you didn't get new clothes a lot. But at the beginning of the school year, a few, a few new items, a new shirt, a new pair of shoes, mm-hmm. that always felt good. Uh, my least favorite thing about the first day of school meant that I was probably not going to get lunch, and here's why. Uh, my, my parents never gave us money to buy lunch at school. Five kids, like you pack, your, you pack your lunch. And my parents were also the kind that from the time you were first grade older, you made your own lunch. So my mom would always say, like, after dinner, every day, it was, it's time to make your guys lunch for school. And if you didn't do it, you didn't have lunch. Well, you, I, you never did I it? rarely made my lunch. So I was always scrounging for lunch. So <laughs> the beginning of the school year always meant, gosh, I'm probably going to be hungry till dinner. Aww. Did you ever oh. like try to get your friends to give you food? Uh, I would sometimes do that. Yeah. Uh, I can remember sometimes like going in the in the lunch line. It was like the whole like I don't have money and I forgot my lunch. So they would make you like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich mm-hmm. and charge you like a quarter on your student account or whatever. So I did that sometimes. But that was my least my least favorite thing about the school year was. I actually think my parents parented pretty well. Like that's, no, that's actually like, not bad. I don't that's think I don't, thing at I don't all. think my mom should have been making you know. Yeah. Everyone's lunch every day. So I would agree with that. I, right. had, I had new shoes, but no food. Oh. <laughs> yeah. You're all right. That's all right. You, you, you survived. You are a. And I never once thought, you made it. Gosh, I'm looking forward to all of the learning that's going to happen this year. <laughs> never once. <laughs> never once. Until college. Until I went to Bible college and started studying to be a pastor, then I, lo- I loved learning. But yeah. never yeah. had that thought as a middle schooler or a I'm, high schooler. I would agree with that as well. All right, Clayton, what right. are we talking about today? We're going to learn something, guys. Um, so we are in a new book of the Bible. <laughs> we're well, we're in, learning about the Bible, Clayton, yeah, and good. we like that. This is good. So we're in, we're in First Thessalonians. So uh, we we have not been in uh, an epistle for a while, uh, but this is our first time we're going to be in a letter. So we have been reading the story of Acts, which is the story of the early church. But what's really cool is we're about to jump into several of Paul's letters, which kind of give you a different angle on the same events. You know, he's uh, writing to some of the groups of people that he traveled to plant churches there. And so we're getting uh, the, the book of Thessalonians here. Um, the book of the Thessalonians, just so you know, this is a curious fact. Um, it is one of the earliest, it might even be the earliest writing in the New Testament. So we put the books in a certain order, like the gospels go first, so you kind of get the basic story of Jesus uh, and the story of Acts. And then we put all the letters, but the letters are just in order from longest to shortest. So it's not, it's not like some logical thing. It's just sort of like, well, this is kind of the order they go in. But um, First Thessalonians, either First Thessalonians or Galatians is the very first writing we have in the New Testament, the earliest dated thing. Uh, oh my goodness. What's what is going that? On? You know what that sound means? It's time for a new segment. It's called Comma Tip of the Week. So Ooh. we're starting wow. a new segment. We're starting a new book. So here's everyone's comma tip of the week. Whenever you're starting a new book of the Bible, it is a very good idea to have a good study Bible and read the introduction to that book. If you do not have a good study Bible, we've got you covered. Because if you go to BibleSavvy.com, 
you will find that we have links to introductions to every book of the Bible that are provided by the publishers of study Bibles. They provide those introductions for free, so we have links to them. What we also have linked to on the BibleSavvy.com website is the Bible Project videos. We talk about them all the time. If you have never watched a Bible Project video on a book of the Bible, you should do that. You might even be better off not listening to this podcast and going and watching that video. But you can hit pause on this podcast, go watch that video, and come back. Bible Project videos, introductions to the Bible. This has been your comma tip of the week. Yes. Oh, man. That was amazing. All right. New segment. Fantastic. Um, f- for a little bit of background for, uh, for the passage we're about to read, it is helpful to remember that um, when Paul went to the city of Thessalonica, when he started this church, okay, um, this is the story. Maybe you remember this a few weeks back when we had our live podcast. We talked about when he went to the city of Athens, but he had been chased out of a city right before that, which was why he was by himself in the city of Athens. Well, the city where that mob came from was the city of Thessalonica. So basically, he went to this city. He was there for three weeks. He preached the gospel. Some people responded. He started getting this little church together, you know, starting things up. But then some people got angry, chased him out of town, uh, chased him out of another town. And then he was kind of on the run to Athens. So uh, this is a place where he faced a lot of hardship, but he also um, started off really strong with a, a group of people who Got it. So uh, this is a letter that he wrote to that group of people, um, and we're going to get a window into his relationship with them. So uh, Eric, if you would read, uh, starting in verse one. All right. So reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter two, verses one through 16. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. Even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order to not be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory." We also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. 
In this way, they also heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. All right, we're going to go to the O in comma, which is observation. So we're going to talk about the things that we see here. What observations do you guys have? The first thing that I notice is um, this this very like, uh, oh gosh, I can't think of the, the word, but like the, the brothers and sisters, right? Like he keeps calling them brothers and sisters. And then he's using um, like language, like we cared for you, like if you were our own children, like that to me is language that is very close and personal and meaningful. Um, you know, some people like, you know how like some people be like call people friends, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you can generically call people a friend, you know what I mean? Um, or you can say it sarcastically, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, friend, you know what I mean? But to me, like, I'm suddenly reinterpreting so many no, interactions. <laughs> <laughs> but what I'm like, the thing here is like, Paul was speaking to these people with very compassionate language, like calling them brothers and sisters and saying that he cared for them as if they were his children. That's personal stuff. Yeah, I know. I noticed that too. The the images he uses. It's interesting. He uses at the in one verse here, uh, verse seven. He talks about being a nursing mother. Yeah, and then in <laughs> verse eleven, he talks about him as a as a father encouraging, comforting, urging his own children. Like like every family relationship he can think of, he's got in there. He even compares himself to a young child at one point. Like I'm a brother, a sister, a mother, a father, a young child. Like he's trying to. He's like mining all of the warm relationships he can find. Yeah, he didn't use the drunk uncle analogy. <laughs> oh, relational. See, that's what, that's relational. the word I was looking for. Relational. It's very relational. <laughs> there yeah. we go. The We're drunk back. uncle. I was like a drunk uncle Minus to you. the drunk uncle. <laughs> gosh. Oh, gosh. Uh, I noticed the, the multiple times that he talks about not, the, the motivation is not to please man, yeah. but rather to please God. That, mm-hmm. pop, that pops up a few times. Um, I, w- I was struck by, uh, in verse eight, he says, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel uh, of God, but our lives as well. Like, I, there's something really amazing about, like, obviously he's there in the city because he's got a message, right? But it's not just, okay, I got a message, I'll deliver it and move on. There's no connection here. It's like, no, I would, I'm, I'm giving my life, you know, to you. I'm sharing who I am. I'm sharing my experience. I'm sharing my commitment. Like, there's that, that warmth of relationship is there um, demonstrated again. I think with that too, like in, in verses 9, 10, and 11, it says like, surely you remember. And then it says, you are witnesses and for you know that. It's, it's all these things like, like they know Paul and Paul knows them and they've seen their lives and their witness to who they are, how they've lived out the gospel, how they've communicated the gospel. Like he's, he's basically appealing to them and saying, you know us, you remember what, we're, what we've done and what we did, you know, what we said. Uh, also, I see a few different times Paul's reminding them that his motives are pure, mm-hmm. uh, where he says in verse three that he, he uses the words, we didn't have impure motives. We weren't trying to trick you uh, as God is our witness. We weren't trying to mask or cover up our greed. Like what we were doing did not have selfish motivation. We weren't just trying to trick you, get your money, manipulate you into something, which that's as many times as I've read First Thessalonians, that one hasn't stuck out to me as much, but maybe it's because there's so much of that going on today, which, yeah. but that now I just look at that and go, okay, well, it's been going on for thousands of years where people have used religion to manipulate other people to try to get their money. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I noticed the, the different ways he mentions uh, suffering or opposition. 
Uh, so he talks about how they suffered. They were treated outrageously. There was strong opposition. So he talks about like coming from a city where he got mistreated. And then, the, then you know, he says, remember our toil and hardship. Like he got mistreated again in Thessalonica. But then and at the very end of the passage, he says, and you have also been mistreated. He's saying you've suffered and you're like those, uh, the people in Jerusalem who, you know, we've read in the story of Acts, like Stephen was killed and they were persecuted. Like after Jesus, there was a lot more pressure on them. He's saying, you've actually become like them and you're suffering. So there's this um, recognition of the difficulty of following Jesus, especially at this time, that it was a costly thing to do. Um, in some ways, it almost is validating what he was saying. I'm not doing this for personal gain because look at what happens to us. I suffer wherever I go and you've joined in and now you're hurting too. Another thing that I saw in verse one, it says that their their visit was not without results. And I thought that was kind of interesting. I was like, well, what was the result, right? And then you jump down to verse 13 and you can kind of say like, well, the result was that they received the word of God and they heard it, they accepted it. And now the work of, of God is in is in them for because they believe. I, I think that was a, that's really, that's really cool. Like that was the result of their work. Another thing that jumps out to me is verse 16, uh, where he's talking about people displeasing God and being hostile to the things of God. And it says, the wrath of God has come upon them at last, which is not fun to read. It's not a fun thought, but it does remind us that God is watching and things don't go unchecked. And there is, there is a there is an active, intimate God who is watching over his universe and he sees all of it. Yeah, it's 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 one of those things that, especially if you are in a place where you aren't being persecuted, um, it feels more harsh. Like for for some, like if you if you read the same thing uh, that was being written by um, a Jew in the Holocaust, saying like judgment is going to come on these Nazis that are hurting us, or someone who is enslaved, you know, and and like you, those more intense situations, you realize no, actually, there <laughs> like it it kind of makes sense to say I want God to do some judging here. Um, we have a harder time because we're actually not quite as <laughs> facing hardship as, as we might think sometimes. Um, but in those, the, when someone's truly oppressed, the idea that there's a God who would say, no, I see that and I'm going to do something about it because I know you can't um, is, is, is a really big deal. Uh, one other thing that I see here, um, I, um, it, it kind of goes back to that, the family language. I, the, when he talks about being a father dealing with his children, I, I'm really struck by the passion of when he's saying, I'm encouraging and comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of God. Like he's, he's got a lot of passion because he loves them so much. He's like, I really want the best for you. Um, and he kind of piles on the language of saying, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to like call you to this with all that I've got, you know? Um, and I, and I, the passion there is, is really a, um, striking. And all of those words fall short of forcing you to. Yes. Urging gets close. Like it's a passionate, like, uh, pressing. Yeah, but none of it is forcing. Mm-hmm. And he also says in a previous verse, we didn't assert our authority. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's like, I guess we could have. I mean, we're apostles of God, but there was, a, there was a different approach taken. It was more of an invitational, instructive type approach. It's the, the, the appeal is my love and care for you rather than my, my authority over you. Yeah. Any other observations? That would be a no, I guess. Okay, I guess not. All right, let's move on to message. We're going to do uh, a message before meditation. Uh, you can do the M's and comma uh, in either order, but we'll start with message today. What message do you guys get? 
I'll get my message from verse 13 that says, and we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. The word of God is living and active. And so uh, my message is that the word of God is not just about avoiding hell and getting into heaven, but it is in fact a living and active thing that does something in your life that is transformational. Uh, I think oftentimes Christianity, for, for a long time, Christianity has been talked about like the get out of hell free card, right? You need Jesus to forgive you so that your sins can be forgiven so that you can spend eternity with God in heaven, which is true, but it's not the entirety of the story. And so when the message of the gospel comes to us, it's not just transactional, it's transformational. When you believe in Jesus and surrender your life to him and believe the message of the gospel, it gets on the inside of you and it starts this beautiful work of making you more like the person you were created to be. I'm trying to figure out how to actually kind of say this, like in a in a line but what essentially what i'm picking up on is those verses that 9 10 and 11 that surely you remember you are witnesses for you know right it's this idea of paul did life with these people and they became very uh, aware of who he was and he became very aware of who they were and in my life um through my interactions with people the way that, again, I guess you could say like encouraging people and comforting them and praying with them and speaking words of truth and love into them, um, that's a deep, meaningful, relational thing that you can walk alongside of with people, not only just through life, but also through faith, most importantly. And it's a beautiful picture that we get to do that with each other. And so for me, I want to be reminded that I have brothers and sisters around me that are looking at my life and they're watching me and they're knowing me. And um, some may even be imitating me, right? As I try to imitate Christ and vice versa. So it's a good reminder to be aware of. I forget, Nikki, were you an only child growing up? I was. Yeah. Or I, I am. I've, I was, I am. Yeah. You're, gro- you're all grown up. I'm all grown okay, up. Okay, so... I've I've noticed that often (laughs) you gravitate towards the the family type analogies whenever we're talking about these scriptures. Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah, like love the thought of having brothers and sisters. Well, I love so so like I grew up in a big family, right? Like as far as cousins, like your extended family. yeah extended family cousins, aunts, uncles, and all that stuff. But they live in various parts of the world, so I don't get a chance to see them now. And so like my church family, like my friends that I've grown up here they're just as much family to me as my extended family. And so it's important when you're able to have a community that you can kind of say, hey, like, let's do life with each other. Like, that's, it's, it's insanely important. So Clayton, you come from a ginormous, ginormous. <laughs> Clayton's like, family. leave me alone. <laughs> so, so, so when we're reading brothers and sisters in Christ, the idea that we're all children of God and we get God as our Father, but we also get a family that comes with that. Yeah. What does that do to you when you read these analogies? <laughs> oh my gosh, too many things. Uh, so, because my family's not, it's not just like, well, my mom had a lot of kids. Like we had. Some are foster kids, some are adopted. Uh, so you you get all the kind of like messiness of the early church where it's like Jews and Gentiles. Like it's almost like 
natural kids and adopted kids. And, you know, you get the, the, the people coming in and they're bringing, you know, whatever baggage they come from or you know, trying to reconcile different cultures that are different because, uh, you know, my, my family is from all sorts of different uh, cultural backgrounds. So, like, all of this evokes a lot of things for me and both the good and the bad. I mean, there's like a realism when you say brothers and sisters and it feels like this like, oh, you know, warm, fuzzy kind of thing. Well, that's all true. Like the warmth is there. But there's also the like messiness yeah. of, of those kind of relationships that, that come. They're almost the hardest ones because uh, of the closeness and the commitment that's there. Yeah. I would also say this too, just to kind of add, like one of my best friends, she's got like grown kids and they don't uh, have a very close family, right? Um, and he, and one of her sons is dealing with this like, I, gosh, I wish I had family. Like I wish we had family by us. And I'm trying, I'm like, look at, Look at who you look at all the family you could have. Like you just you just have to look at it differently. You know what I mean? It it might not be blood, right? Like in the traditional sense, but it can also be just as powerful as yeah. like a a blood relationship there. So well, and I think it's amazing how sometimes people's experience of their church family actually like redefines or fills in gaps of things that they missed from their, their own family. You know, someone who's, whose father passed away when they were young or something, or, you know, someone who's an only child, like, well, I don't have a brother that lived with me or whatever, but like you, people can come in and there's actually healing that can happen where they had strained relationships with, with somebody or whatever. I like, it's a, a really remarkable thing. The way like the church family and God is our father and all that fills in some of those things that get messed up in all of our yep. earthly families, you know? Yep. Uh, my message here uh, is is about Paul's the way Paul leads, um, and so it's both about the kind of leaders we want to be and the kind of leaders we want to have. Um, so it's it's look for leaders or become a leader who loves with a warm heart and sacrificial love. So just the, the warmth and his willingness to say I'm laying it all on the line uh, for people is just uh, really amazing. And it goes back to those images of uh, him as a, a nursing mother caring, like, you know, giving uh, himself for, for the children and father dealing with his children with comfort and encourage and urging. And, uh, and just the, the warmth of that is the kind of leaders we need and need to be. So that's my message there. Uh, and that's actually going to be the jumping off point for the meditation. So here's uh, what we do with meditation. Sometimes we'll grab a line from the passage or sometimes we'll grab a theme from the passage as something to prompt our prayer. Because this is what meditation is. It's simply uh, thinking and praying about some portion of what you've gotten out of the scripture. And so I, one of the things I want us to do is actually think of either the leaders in our life or the places where we have leadership. Okay, so that might mean uh, you think of uh, someone you know that's a, a teacher or uh, a parent or a counselor or uh, leads in a, an organization, or maybe you're in your own life, you know, people that you're, you're caring for, children, uh, whoever it is, a group that you lead, um, and, and actually pray for those qualities, either for that other person or for yourself in your leadership, that kind of uh, warmth and love for people they lead and the, uh, the, the sacrificial uh, giving of yourself for the sake of leadership. So we're going to give you 45 seconds. Uh, to pray about that.
All right. Let's go on to the A and comma, which is application. That's about what we do in response to what we've learned. If I'm basing my application off of my message, which is from verse 13 about the word of God being at work in our lives, uh, then my application would be to ask the question, God, what are you doing or what are you trying to do in my life right now? If, if it is true that when you believe the gospel, that the gospel does a work in you and it is, it is a constant work, that it's not just transactional, it's transformational, then God's always at work and he's always trying to do stuff in us to grow us, to sanctify us, or to do stuff through us. So my application is to ask the question, God, what are you doing right now? Uh, my application, if if I'm going off of my message, but also I think if I'm going off of yours as well, would you consider aspects of leadership and stuff like that, um, is being in relationship with people um, and having that, again, that very like clear awareness that, there are people who know me and I know them and we're sharing life together and they're watching me and possibly imitating me and vice versa. Um, then I need to, I need to be aware of that. I need to lean into that. I need to invite people into situations where I can walk alongside of them and uh, maybe teach them what I know, teach them what I've experienced, shared my experience with them, but also um, open myself up to share with them things that, I need help with or things that I'm struggling with. Like it's just, it's making sure that I have that community around me, whether that's in my personal life and, and in my work life. My application uh, related to Paul and kind of his, his passionate warmth in his leadership uh, is, is really just to not be afraid to express that to the people that I'm leading, whether, whether that's in my family or at work or wherever. Um, my, my default demeanor is always the like, the, you know, sort of like thoughtful professor thing, right? Like where it's like, I'm a little reserved, uh, but the reality is I'm really grateful and I love uh, the people that I work with and that, that I'm, you know, in community with. And uh, I actually had an experience the other day where um, I was interacting with someone and I got like passionate about something I was saying. And I was like, I, I, but we just love these people and whatever. And he's like, oh my gosh, like, dude, why don't you do that? You know, like, so like to actually express those things is something people need to hear. Like I look at Paul and I say, people knew his heart for them, which is why they were willing to say, you know what, I'm going to trust what you have to say. And I need to be able to do that for the people that I really do feel those things. But I, you know, I hold back because that's my personality. That's good stuff. All right, friends. Thanks for listening this week. Join us again next Monday for a new episode. We'll be looking at another passage from the Bible Savvy reading schedule. In the meantime, if you're not following along with the reading plan, you can check out BibleSavvy.com to download it and start reading along. Also, you can subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Email us your questions or suggestions at podcast at BibleSavvy.com. Lastly, tell your friends, and we'll talk to you next week.